This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Well, today we have a special guest, Tim Sutter. Tim, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Awesome. Well, you are steep in automotive industry in numerous ways. Could you just kind of give our audience an overview of everything that you're involved in? Wow. I hope this is a a long podcast. Uh, Yeah, I'm the the, the publisher, co-founder, co-owner of uh, Classic Motorsports Magazine and Grassroots Motorsports Magazine. And, of course, our websites and uh, an event company that kind of goes with that. That's a lot of stuff. So you're pretty much involved in all sorts of automotive events around the country and the world, I would imagine. Yes. We put on events uh, from our uh, $2,000 challenge, which started 20 years ago. It was just at our 20th anniversary where we um, show people that you can go racing and and have fun in our world for for low dollar. We use a $2,000 figure. Uh, which that kind of led to uh, crap can racing, lemons, and and that kind of stuff. So kind of came out of that. Judge at Amelia Island. I've judged. I just judged at Hilton Head last week, two weeks ago, and and uh, on the SCC Foundation board, uh, helping uh, teen driving and those kind of things, and keeping the archives and history alive. So yeah, I keep. I, I stay pretty busy. So how did you get involved in the car world? What was the first car that? kind of lit your fire well that's that's kind of interesting i think because uh, you know when you're a real young kid uh, i was born in 1960 but when you're really young you don't remember much but the three earliest memories i have were uh, kennedy getting assassinated you know i didn't really know three almost four years old i didn't know what that was about but but i knew it was a big deal to everybody my grandfather passing away my dad was a Ford dealer, and he took us in April of 1964 to show us something called the Mustang. And everybody oh, wow. was all excited about the Mustang. And honestly, what I remember of it is, what's the big deal? It's a car. But why is that one of the three earliest memories of my life? Obviously, it had some effect on me. I have two Mustangs today, and I've restored probably a dozen Mustangs over the years, so... I uh, was obsessed with Mustangs and fixing up cars when I was a teenager working in my dad's Ford dealership. So I would say that that is certainly the earliest, uh, one of my earliest memories, period, and certainly my earliest car memory when I was just turned four years old. Now, what Mustangs do you have today? Because I'm a big Mustang guy. I have a 67 GT350. Mm, nice. I started their company by selling a 66 GT350H that, that I had fixed up in high school and actually college and uh, for 30 years I, I complained to my wife that the company owed me my Shelby back and finally when the prices dipped she says I'm tired of hearing about you bitching about your <laughs> Shelby why don't you just get another one they're certainly not going down in value so I did that's awesome well I I went to the 1994 Mustang unveiling it wasn't nearly as impactful <laughs> <laughs> I was a little disappointed. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So how'd you get into the business you're in now? How'd you start it? Like I said, I grew up in a Ford dealership, and I watched Ford reps come in and, and tell my dad that, that if he wanted the four-wheel drive trucks that were keeping us alive, we were in Cranberry, uh, Cranberry-growing country in southeastern Massachusetts, that he would have to take five of these Pintos every for every truck. The, you know the pintos that blew up and you know I, I watched him deal with that and trying to sell somebody else's product which was very bad at the time uh, much better today but uh, i said at that point i will i will own my own business and i i will not 
I will not be forced to sell crap if if I don't want to. And at least, you know, if I own my own business, I can fix the crap and make it better. I had to make that decision when I was about 19. Five years later, I kind of, I literally woke my, my wife up in the middle of the night. I had gotten into SCCA autocrossing and fixing up a 240Z Datsun and was trying to learn about it. You know, there was no internet at the time. There was no real magazines at that time for that kind of stuff. And, um... I woke her up in the middle of the night and said, well, tomorrow we're going to start a car magazine about <laughs> fixing up crappy old Z cars and stuff like that. Something for the everyman. You know, the new car magazines, and you know, every month they would tell you how fast your new Ferrari or Porsche would go. And it's like, you know, how does that help a, a broke-ass kid with a with a 240Z that he's trying to fix up? Uh, she told me to go back to bed. She said, you're an idiot. Go back to bed. <laughs> Next morning, I got up. I said, "No, I'm I'm serious. We're going to do this." So, uh, with no money, no no, you know, I was 24 years old. We were in a rental house, and in the Florida room, we started uh, Motorsport Marketing Incorporated. 35 years ago, got started, and uh, it was easy. <laughs> not, <laughs> yeah. You know, I yeah, go to I go to press <laughs> launches, and people would snicker at me and laugh and say, "There's that stupid kid that thinks he's going to start a car magazine." And, the people that are still alive that are in that most of them subscribe to our magazines now so that's kind of neat you have so many news stories and so many cool barn finds and so many cool personal stories how do you stay on top of it all well you know that that's that's a that's, that's a good question I, mean, I all through my years people are like aren't you going to run out of stuff to write about or stuff to right. say and it's like of all the changes in, in the technology and in all the changes in the world that's never been a um you know, never been an issue. I've, I've been writing columns and two publications for 35 years and, and never never, never had nothing to say. And I, I always said that if I ever ran out of things to say, I'd, I'd quit. But um, but uh, as far as how to choose and what to do, I mean, we kind of come up with a plan for the year as, as to what, you know, we, we do market research. We do a survey every couple of years to see what our readers want. And, uh you know, we try to give them what they want, but I mean, you know, something, you know, when a when an Enzo Ferrari or a Carroll Shelby dies or something like that happens or a, a new C8 Corvette is, is launched, you know, there's game changers that, that throw you off your plan and you have to cover right. cover that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, we, we, we kind of have a mix. And one thing I've always thought is, you know, while most of our readers might be doing mild modifications on Miatas or Z cars or old Porsche 911s or, or just restoring cars like that. You know, it gets a little boring if that's all you, you write about. I mean, how many right. uh, and I think, and I don't want to name any names, but there's one very famous old magazine that, that has told you 980 million times how to rebuild a small box Chevy, and, and I think we get that now. So Right. Uh, <laughs> Move on. Um, so, you know, we try to to throw some wacky stuff in there we did the most famous thing we ever did was putting a rotary engine in a spitfire and then a few years back we we found an old lotus alon that was literally broken in half and left in a field for 50 years and i called bill warner at amelia island i said i got a publicity stunt for you i'll have this on the lawn at amelia in a year and a half and he said cool i like it let's do it so right and now yeah. we're we found an old Elva Mark VI, a sports racer that turns out it was sold to me with no history for virtually no money and turns out is a factory car at Sebring. So we're restoring that and bringing it back from the dead. So, you know, you got to you gotta throw weird stuff in. I, I, I think a magazine should feel comfortable and you get what you expect every month and then 
you should have at least one thing every month that just throws you for a loop going, wow, never knew about that, never would have thought about that, but man, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and I have a 57 Ferret, if you're interested. Uh, we can talk about that later. So that's an oddball well, British racing car. <laughs> I did a Tornado Typhoon, and I still haven't met anybody that's ever heard of that. So. <laughs> yeah, looking at your website, you are definitely covering a lot of the modern stuff as well as the older stuff. What kind of market trends are you seeing out there? I'd say the two biggest market trends I've seen is in the newer car stuff, uh, American, American stuff's hot again. I mean, when we started, it was all about GTIs and RX-7s and 280ZXs and that type of stuff. But, um, you know, the American, you know, the Detroit's building some really cool stuff, so we're writing more about Mustangs, Corvettes, and, and Dodge makes some pretty cool. You know, I drove the new Hellcats and all those cars, and they're pretty fantastic. So, uh, and I think all the imports got to be looking at the CA Corvette going, how the hell are we going to compete against that? So, yeah. Yeah. So that's certainly the, a trend uh, for newer stuff is American performance is definitely back. As far as the older cars go is, uh, you know, while the, the British and, and the older stuff from the 50s and 60s have certainly come up in value and, and, and enjoyed a, a new heyday, a new respect, you've got a whole generation of people now that, you know, they don't know or they've forgotten the horror stories about stuff like Fiat's and Triumphs and MG's and how unreliable they were, which, which by the way, is mostly due to neglect and not really, you know, most of them were pretty pretty well screwed together, especially in the in the 50s and early 60s. But uh, but you've got a whole generation coming up that thinks an E30 BMW or a really rabbit GTI like the one I'm playing with right now is super cool or Porsche 944s. And, you know, even the, the 986, the, the early Boxsters are starting to be, uh, mm-hmm. considered collectible and and why not they're fantastic cars i've got one of those too so you know that trend is a move i wouldn't say away from uh, earlier stuff i mean e-types are certainly worth restoring still but uh you've got a whole you know a younger generation that that thinks a different kind of car is cool plus you know these mo- more modern cars i mean i i got an e30 91 318 uh, i i don't get too technical here with the model designations and right, stuff right. but you know uh, an 80 style bmw little square boxy bmw and i just took it on a 2000 mile trip uh, the air blows cold it's got an airbag it's fuel injected it meets emissions it's you know it's a whole new generation of safe fun reliable economical uh classic cars that are fantastic so it's you know obviously they they people had to start to love them because they're pretty lovable now, you just rattled off three other cars in your collection, and this is called the Collector Car Podcast. So are there any other cars in your collection that were missing? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> you know, a gentleman doesn't talk about how many cars he has. You don't have to. That's for sure. <laughs> but I'm no gentleman, so I'll tell you. Oh, right. You. Okay. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I think I've got about 25 cars. Um, being a Ford dealer's son, I love Fords. I have had some Chevys, too. I don't right now. And I also like British cars. I, I've got, I think, six Triumphs. I race a Triumph TR3. Uh, I've got Spitfires, a TR6. Trying to not go over the same ones I've talked about already. I've got a Sunbeam Tiger, which combines two of my loves, uh, the British the British styling and... and, and uh, Ford. Ford power. <laughs> Is that a 289 or a 260? It was a 260, a Mark One, so it's a 260 car, but we've got a 331 stroker in it. I, oh, nice. Okay. I tend to... I, I kind of go, you know, I try to do a little bit of everything for everybody, but personally, I kind of like Resto Mod, which looks kind of stock, but it's, um, you know, a little hotter underneath, you know, better brakes. You know, a lot of these old cars really can use better handling, better brakes, uh, bushings, shocks, that right. kind of stuff really, 
really you know you can take a new car and, and do that stuff to it and it helps some but you take a 50 year old car oh my god it transforms it yeah speaking of 50 year old cars or 60 year old cars you have a 59 edsel is that right i do on a Hilton i head? do i do and uh that's actually one of my favorites uh, about a decade ago i said you know before they get too expensive i just want a big ugly 50s car and i started looking at convertibles and said well i don't want one seventy five thousand dollars bad but wagons were more like you know, ten to twenty-five thousand, and I uh, picked up that wagon and didn't have to. Uh, mechanically, we went all through it and made it a little more drivable, disc brakes, air conditioning, and stuff like that. But left it looking stock. And uh, yeah, I displayed it at Hilton Head. They they called and a friend of mine that was on the selection committee said, "Hey, you still have that Edsel? We need we need it for our cars of '59 display." And I said, "Yeah, I'll bring it." And then I found out they had the, an on the water display on Saturday, so I I had a an old wooden boat and an old roof rack. So I put it all together for a display, which seemed to go over pretty well. Well, and you also had the engine and the fishing <laughs> the yeah. box, yeah. the fishing poles. The... Well, I had been kind of collecting that. I like you know, old stuff, and, you know, I don't pay collector car prices. I pay yard sale prices, but I've been collecting that stuff over the years, so I put it together for a display. still have a 29 Ford that, you know, it's kind of a nothing car, I mean, value-wise, but... My grandfather sold it new in 1929, and my dad oh, and I wow. stored it in 1974 and five when I was 14, 15 years old. So it was the first car we ever did together. Oh wow, that's really cool. Does so, it have any of the dealership license plate surrounds or anything like that? Yeah, I've got the original, the uh, you know, the tag for the back of it and stuff. Again, it's not a valuable car, but it, personally, it's a it's valuable to me. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, and then you also just came back from SEMA. Anything really stick out for you there, other than the 47 Toyota Supras? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one hard you couldn't you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a Toyota Supra. But uh, other than that, I think you know my SEMA. Everybody's like, "Wow, you get to go to SEMA. That must be so nice. You have it so easy." And it's like, I think I had forty something meetings at SEMA. So, oh my god, my, my wow. SEMA is is you know I have people there doing the, the fun stuff. Uh, my job is to keep our company in business for another year, which we we did quite well this year. But uh, I do look around a little bit, and the insanity and the quality and the, and the passion that I see out there is—I mean, it's—it really, it really, you know, gets your your heart going again. As far as just the ingenuity, the just creativity. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, you know, I, I think I'm fairly good at this. I've restored over 50 cars personally, and I go out there and I go. Man, I'm a hack compared to some of these people. Just the craftsmanship and and the, the thought and what they you know what they put together, you know the different combinations of new and old and modernizing and the way they do it. I'm never not surprised by you know the ingenuity of people right. and and the heart and the soul of the car hobby. That's really cool. Yeah, I imagine you're always super busy, running to as many meetings as you can. And I've read that if you walk the entire thing, it's like 15 miles. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. ginormous. Yeah, yeah. I, I went back and forth several. Thankfully, you know, a seat, kind of in a senior position and all this. So I got more and more people that are willing to come to my booth for a meeting. <laughs> That's uh, which good. does make it a smidge easier. But I, I still get around there pretty good. The big change over the years, I think, when we started, I went to the SEMA show in 85 for the first time and, and met guys, interviewed Carol Shelby and met David E. Davis from, from uh, Car and Driver and all you know all these legends and and was as a 25 year old kid I was just in awe I was blown away but trying to sell sports car racing and classic sports cars and anything you know like that was 
people looked at me like I had three eyes or something. Today, three-quarters of that show is, is sporty car type stuff or, or you know, with the Optima Street Challenge and all that has just changed the whole industry. And it's kind of come our way, you know. used to be if you didn't do talk about drag racing or stock car racing, people didn't even know what the hell you were talking about. <laughs> right. Now they're drifting in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's a brave new world. Well, before we get to my little keep cash or crush game, are there any events you have coming up that you would like to share with our listeners? We do a series of classic sports car tours in our spare time. Uh, we're doing <laughs> one uh, uh, called our Orange Blossom Tour in and around uh, Amelia Island time. And we do one at Tale of the Dragon called the Smoky mm. Mountain Tour. And we've added a third one out west uh, in wine country called the Golden State Tour in October. So we're uh, pre-driving those and organizing those. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's that kind of started with, it's so mad at people saying there's no no good roads and no cool places to see in Florida. And, you know, it's like going to L.A. and, and then saying California is ugly. Well, you haven't seen much of California if you go to L.A. Same, same with Florida. You go to Disney World, you've not seen Florida. Yep, for sure. Well, as I mentioned, I like to do a little game at the end called Keep, Cash, or Crush. So this is where I pick out three cars and you tell me which one you want to keep, which one you want to cash, and which one you want to crush. All right. My goal is to make it as hard as possible. <laughs> so I have three race cars for you. So the first one is the 1959 Old Yeller 2, which was not a factory car by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, yep, I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. Um, the other one is a quasi-factory car, the 1957 Black Widow. And then the last one is a 1957, ironically as well, a Jaguar XKSS, but one of the nine reproduction ones. What's the second one again, the Black Widow? The uh, 57 Chevy Black Widow. Uh, they made like 20 of them. They raced at Daytona back in the day. Oh, yeah. There's like, I oh, think, yeah. seven existing. Well, I mean... I want to keep them all, but... Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, if I were going to keep one of those, I'd probably keep the old Yeller. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. Um, from a value standpoint, you know, it's probably where it's at. I, You know, I don't see that car going up crazy in value. I, I know right. the car. I know the owner. Nice guy. He's one of our subscribers. Um, I guess if I had to crush one, I'd crush the Chevy. Uh, <laughs> right. I, well, I already told you I'm a Ford guy. Plus, you right. know, NASCAR is certainly, I don't know if decline is the right word, but certainly not as hot as it was a decade ago. I think they priced themselves out of their, their own market, so to speak, from a going to the event thing. But we, we don't need to get into all that. Right, right. Um, and then so then we got we to gotta cash, cash one in. out. Huh? Cash I in guess, the Jag? Yeah, I guess you got to cash in the Jag. Um you know, it's not. It's, I've never been a replica guy. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying I hate them. I just, you know, I'd rather have a real Sunbeam Tiger than a fake Cobra. Right. Um, not saying that, that the 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 Cobra kits are are not better than the original, and they're not amazing, and, and the way they've been sorted, and and but just you know, personally, I'm more of a original car guy than a kit. And I get it. I mean, if you're, you know. You're never going to own a 550 Spider or Cobra or something, so I, I get why they do it, and it's it's good that they give people a chance to experience it. But so I know there's been a lot of fuss about that XKSS, and they did a beautiful job. But you know, it is what it is. It's not a bad one to cash in because I think they were like a million dollars thicker for the figure. Yeah, you know, and, so. and you know, and who, who knows how time treats something like that? I mean, you know, the, certainly though, kits or replicas or whatever you want to call them have developed 
you know, market value of their own. I think Haggerty even has them in their evaluation guide, but uh, that you were talking about earlier. But uh, so, you know, there's definitely, uh, you know, a street value for a, a used Cobra or, or 550 Spider or 356 Roadster or something like that. So Yeah, I had never seen one in person. And then two weeks ago, I saw three of them in person. I saw a replica, one of the nine replicas in Fort Lauderdale. And then I saw two of the real ones up in Canada. So it was kind of nuts to... Yeah. Go from zero to three <laughs> so yeah. quickly. Now, originally, before I knew you were a Ford guy, that third car was going to be a 65 GT 350R model without the engine or transmission. Would that have changed which one you would have cashed and which one you would have kept? Well, I, I mean, everybody, everybody's fighting over these cars that are fully appreciated. You know, I mean, right. I love Shelby's, but, I mean, they are what they are, that, you know, that R model. Even without the engines, probably a half million dollar car, maybe more. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but it, you know, if you want to make money at this, you have to look to the future. You're, you know, it's your forty to fifty year old guy that's coming in. He's starting to get money, and you got to think about what he likes. You don't think about what the eighty year old guy likes. I mean, right now, that yeah. doesn't mean the younger generation doesn't like Duesenbergs and isn't doesn't want one someday because they you know they get into the hobby, they learn, they see stuff like Jay Leno's garage and that kind of stuff, and I actually went for, uh, he took me out to lunch in a Duesenberg a couple months ago, and it was an amazing oh, nice. car. That's probably another another podcast for another day, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it was a pretty neat adventure. But, uh, you know, you you look at something like a, an early Dodge Viper, and it's a pretty terrible car in a lot of ways, but uh, so was the original Cobra, and, the, and the, the Viper is certainly the Cobra of the 90s, and, you know, your, your 40-year-old guy probably has more respect for a viper than he does for an original cobra and because that's his time period you know so right yeah so, you know yeah, if you sure. want to and i don't like people just think you know thinking about the money and all this you should get what you yeah. love and you'll do fine and if not you've got the car so so what but uh you know trying to buy fully appreciated cars competing with everybody who wants them and is willing to pay for them and doesn't make sense i mean i just picked up this rabbit gti for two grand and it's it's an iconic car. I mean, you'd say, why bother? But it's an iconic car. It changed the world in 1983 when it came out. It, it re- rebooted performance. Right. And there's yep. a whole generation of people that that was the coolest car you could have as a 20-something-year-old in the 80s. And yep, you, a lot absolutely. of us, even me, couldn't afford one then. So that's why I got it. Ironically, the first car I shared with my sisters was on Jay Leno's garage not too long ago, or one of his specials. 1986 Chrysler Laser Turbo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, you never see them. You know, it's just yeah. they kind of blew up and rusted away. So yeah. when you do see one, it's kind of cool. So, well, thank you so much for your time today. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your businesses? Well, our website uh, www. I guess actually, if you're cool, you don't even have to say that anymore. But classicmotorsports.com <laughs> and uh, grassrootsmotorsports.com, um, depending if you like the older stuff or the newer stuff, and uh, yeah, we've got real good content on the site. It's easy to get a subscription or a sample from there and uh, and learn all about us and what we do. So I hope everybody likes it. Yeah, thanks for your time today, Tim. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.